into the breach once again, dear friends. Welcome to Tuesday's Richie Allen Radio Show with me, Richie Allen, funnily enough. How are you? Hope you've had a good day. As the date is the 25th of July, 2023. Summer is nearly over. It's the BBG, not the BBC. This is your Richie Allen Show, live from the magnificent city of Salford. It's the Richie Allen Show, broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. Yeah, I'm only joking. Plenty of time left in the summer for us to swelter in climate change, meltdown, crisis, emergency. It is your Richie Allen Show. I'm live from Salford, BBG Towers. A little bit later on this hour, Giovanni De Stefano returns to the program. An old pal of mine. I'm fond of him. He might be a rogue. I'm fond of him. We dealt with his legal troubles and his incarceration last time he was on. We will not be revisiting that at all. I want to pick his legal brain because he's got a big old legal brain in spite of everything. So we're going to talk about Jeffrey. We're going to talk about... We're going to talk about lots of things is what we're going to do. We're going to talk about Jeremy Bamber. We might talk about Lord Ho Ho and other strange, mysterious cases. Uh, Giovanni De Stefano remains convinced that Jeremy Bamber, the White House farm murderer, is innocent. He's been behind bars now. It'll be 40 years soon enough, won't it? Is that to come a bit later on? Before that, Sarah Habubi, thinklocal.ie, the Think Local conference, due to take place last week near Mullingar, never happened. Because activists, or that's what they call themselves, convinced the venues to ditch the conference. This is deadly serious. I caught up with Sarah Habubi a bit earlier on. You'll hear that conversation in a few minutes' time. And that is Tuesday's Richie Allen Radio Show. Goodbye. See you tomorrow. No, it isn't, of course. I'm going to jump straight in because I'm up against the clock already. Straight into it. Climate hoaxing. Climate alarmism all day. But don't worry, we will only dip a toe into it. We will dip the toenail on our little toe into it and only for a giggle or two. I gave an hour and ten minutes to climate change yesterday, not today. Jenny Jones, Baroness Jenny Jones, Green Party, off to be found, often found, on BBC Question Time panels and the like in the House of Lords now, was on Talk TV, was this lady, with David Bull, Dr David Bull earlier. He mentioned there is a group of scientists who say there is no climate crisis, there is no emergency, that it is natural. Jenny Jones was not the least bit impressed. Here's some of this. Sorry, what was it? The Global Warming... The Global Climate um, Intelligence Group. The World Climate Declaration, you'll know it as. Okay, uh, not very intelligent. I suggest you put that one in the bin because that is a a, a tiny number of scientists that... I I don't know where they come from. I don't know what their science is. All right, but a minute ago you said it's a tiny, tiny group of scientists. Now you say you don't know where they come from or what their qualifications are. That's called telling lies, Jenny. But climatologists 
um, are very, very clear that we are doing this to our planet. And as I said, okay, so hang on a minute, just just one second. So let's say let's say it is settled and there is climate change taking place, which is fine. Uh, but but obviously the world has always well, well don't do that because this is what people around the country are actually saying, which is the world has always heated up and cooled down as well. The question is how much of this is man-made, and the second question is. Even if we get to net zero, the UK will contribute 1% of global emissions. Yeah, yeah. And the Chinese and the Indians and the Kuala Lumpurs and all those, they'll do what they bloody well want, Jenny Jones. I'm afraid net zero isn't where we should be going. We should be going to real zero. What? And so we, we've got to take this much more seriously than any, any government in the UK is likely to over the next few years. What? Real zero? What the hell is that? I'm afraid net zero isn't where we should be going. We should be going to real zero. And so we, we've got... What's real zero mean? Mass suicide? That we accept? That we should sacrifice ourselves in the name of saving the planet? Kill all our firstborn children? What does real zero mean? Real zero means producing no CO2 whatsoever. What's an absolute dipstick? And David Bull, of course, is not a real radio presenter. Like most of them in the conservative media these days, they are parachuted in politicians. He should have jumped all over that, but he didn't. What did you say there, you batshit crazy lunatic? Real zero? Does that mean no emissions of CO2 whatsoever? So we'll just kill ourselves, will we? Like Jimmy Jones? We'll all go down to South America and take some Kool-Aid, will we? Laced with arsenic or whatever. Mad woman. Mad woman. She goes on. And it is settled science. That's just... It's not settled science though, Jenny. Uh, Only this week, a Nobel Prize winning scientist called Dr. John Closer... Bit of a genius if you go by Jenny's measurement stick. Uh, He's been pulled from a talk he was due to give at the International Monetary Fund because he says that there is no real climate crisis. There's no climate crisis, says Dr John uh, Clauser. No climate emergency whatsoever. It's a load of bollocks, says the genius. He could have said that too, could David Bull, but David Bull is not Richie Allen, is he? Uh, At the end of the day, like... If you don't believe that then there's not much point in my talking anymore because... I love this. If you don't believe it, I'm not talking to you anymore. You've got to believe it. We're all going to die. But lots of people around the country don't believe it. Lots. A few. Um, Most people, in fact, if you talk on doorsteps, I don't know how much you get out, but if you talk to people on doorsteps, they have started talking about climate change. I don't know how much you get out. And they are very concerned. This month is going to be the hottest month for 120,000 years. Now, that is something that... For he, he could jump in and he jumps in. Hang on. 20,000 years. Where did you get that from? Now, that's not the right question. The right question is, yes, Jenny, it might very well be the hottest month on record. Well, not really on record. They only began keeping records 150 years ago. But he could have said, right, so let's just say you are right that it is the hottest month in 125,000 years. Do you know that the, that, that the planet was much, much, much warmer 100,000 years ago, 220,000 years ago. Did you know that, Jenny? Like nine degrees warmer on average across the planet. You didn't know that, did you, Jenny? Uh, Would you like to explain to me how the planet got to be so warm before human beings were doing their industrial things and flying around the planet on planes? You could ask that question, David Bull, if you were a journalist, but you're not, so maybe you should get the fuck off the radio and leave it to journalists to interview these people. Ah, but they won't come on programmes like this. I see. We're caught, really. Whichever way we look, we're stuck, aren't we? So when the planet was so warm, um, 300,000 years ago, Jenny, or 300 million years ago, at so many different periods throughout the history of this planet, it was vastly warmer than now. At one time, as we've discussed on this very programme, the 
the, the, the conditions in the North and South Poles were tropical. So I would ask Jenny Jones, how did that happen, Jenny? Without human beings around with their CO2 emissions? But of course, no. Well, I got it from scientists who, who have told me that. You have to... Got it from Bill Gates, scientists. ...understand that um, I, I, I am... Uh, I, I'm a Green who is, uh, has been saying this sort of thing for a very long time. The green yes, yes, you have been saying it since the 1970s, the 1980s. According to you, we'd be under 16 feet of water by now, but we're not, Jenny. The Green Party's been saying it for 50 years. If the Green Party had been listened to, then we would not uh, be having the same cost of living crisis. If the Green Party had been listened to, we would be living in huts now by rivers. For a start, you know, we'd be using more renewable energy, we'd have insulated houses. But we we'd wouldn't have, have had nuclear power, would we, under the Greens? Well, can, can you keep to the point? Well, that um, is the point. You're saying well, that... Well, not really, because uh, what, uh, nuclear power is not sustainable, whereas... Uh, Why? Whereas, uh, um, other forms of renewable energy are. And... Uh, Quite honestly, uh, we are going to see a real uh, increase in inequality in Britain. I mean, oh, we've Jesus. seen it over the past few years. Conservative government obviously damages society. Yeah, climate change is going to fuel inequality. Those poor, marginalised people, the ethnic people and the poor people will be even more poor and even more ethnic because of climate change. Let's hear 25 more seconds of Mad Jenny Jones. We have done this to ourselves. and Done what to ourselves? A lot of a lot of this. Interject, man. Interject, presenting 101. Stop her. What have we done to ourselves, Jenny? As I said, we have no idea where it's going. For example, we have... So you have no idea where it's going then? So you're contradicting yourself. A few moments ago, you talked about catastrophic, cataclysmic weather events. Now you're saying you have no idea where it's going. The ocean is warming. Now that means that all sorts of fish are moving their territories. That means uh, all sorts of ecosystems are being damaged. We are absolutely out of control as humans and out of control as humans and we are damaging our planet and if we don't if we don't accept that we face a very uncertain future wow that's not much certainty there if we don't accept that we face a very uncertain future said baroness jenny jones that's mad woman number one here in the uk there was an equally mad woman on irish radio this morning a woman called marie donnelly now she chairs ireland's advisory council on climate change this is a mad woman on Morning Ireland, which is an RTE programme, a kind of a flagship radio programme on RTE Radio 1. This woman says district heating is the way forward to reach net zero in Ireland. District heating would mean nobody living in cities would have a boiler, no gas, no oil, a boiler in your house. Listen to this. I never I have to say. And I know everything. Uh, not, I know nothing. I, I never heard of district heating. And I'm a bit embarrassed because apparently the concept has been around for many years. Listen to mad woman number two, Marie Donnelly. Ireland, district heating. District heating. Yes. Uh, SEAI has already done a study that shows we can heat 50% of the heat in Dublin City through district heating systems and district heating systems and for example we can draw much of that heat from the data centers in dublin so a policy on district heating and using the surplus heat for example from district uh, from um, data centers we're missing that policy. Mm -hmm. We're and expecting just, it any day, but it hasn't arrived mm -hmm. yet. Sorry to interrupt you there, but I just I think for many of us, district heating might be a new concept. What is it? Yeah, good. So district heating is where you generate the hot water that goes into your radiators. How? You generate it centrally and you pipe it to the house. So 
in your house, you're getting your hot water, which you currently have in your radiators, from a centrally supplied source. Uh, it means that uh, you don't have to have a boiler in your own house because it's coming from uh, it's coming in from the street, for example. And it's a system that has been in use in the rest of Europe for oh, 40, 50 years. Wow, I didn't know this. Did you know this, dear listener? And it's very, very efficient and very effective. It, it's very important for urban spaces. You know, it's, it's for an urban entity where people are living... In, Human settlement zones. ...in a densely populated location, which means that uh, you don't perhaps have to have uh, individual gas-fired or oil-fired boilers in your house. No such thing as individualism in a communist society. So it's it's a newer way of doing things. It's a technology that has been proven over, over the years in Europe. It uses our surplus heat, as I say, for example, mm-hmm. from data centres. From data centres. It uses surplus heat from data centres. And we will build lots more data centres to monitor what you are doing. To monitor what you are doing, what you are eating, what you are saying, what you are where you are travelling. We'll have lots of data centres and we'll take the surplus heat from the data centres. We will heat some water somewhere in the city and we will pipe it to your front door. But only if you are good boys and girls and do what you're told. And it's very climate friendly. Oh, sure it is. All right. Well, listen, thank you very much for talking to oh, us. Thank you very morning. much. Over to, uh, thanks for talking to us now there now. Communism. Um, they can switch you off even easier than they could previously. Yeah. Right. I'm not saying it wasn't easy to switch off somebody's gas supply. Somebody with a gas boiler, I accept that. Of course, but it's easier now. After your boiler is gone, completely gone, the gas boiler, the oil boiler, gone, and they've banned wood burners, they can say, wait for it, wait for it, in seven years' time, folks, you know the uh, district heating that we're currently running at the moment where we pipe the hot water from outside your house into your house? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, um, we have to switch that off now for two years to flatten the curve because it's just not reducing our carbon emissions enough. So we've got to switch off the district heating for about two years now just to flatten the curve, like what you reckon. And you can do fuck all about it. Nothing. You can't put wood in a wood burner. You can't go and get a gas or or an oil boiler because they'll all have been banned. It's 14 minutes past the hour. It's wonderful how they dispense tyranny on television and radio shows with such glee, with such glee. You can hear the smiles in their voices. Yeah, district heating, that's right. Yes, you won't have any means of heating your own home whatsoever from inside your own home. Yes, I know. It's a completely draconian, it's an archaic concept now. It's absolutely old-fashioned, the idea that you would heat your own home. No, no, we will heat it for you. Yes, district heating, centrally, yes, we will mine the heat. We will take the surplus heat from the data centres. Data centres, you know the things that run the CCTV cameras, which will be up your arse in the near future? We'll take all of that surplus heat and we'll boil some water, we'll bring some pipes up to your house and we'll give you some hot water for your radiators. But uh, in the social credit model of living in the future, of course, if you are a bad boy or girl and you say things on social media you're not supposed to say, we might turn the heat off for a while. Or, as I said, district heating for a couple of years and then they say, folks, we've got to live in the cold for the next two to three years. Dunn stores are selling duffel coats, three for 25 euro. That's how it is because we're creating too much effing carbon. Quarter past the hour. Ed Brodo, or Brodov, I don't know which way it's pronounced, but he's a very successful author. 
He went on talk television to speak with Peter Cardwell to discuss anti-white racism. I've grabbed this so that you can have a little giggle to yourself. You know that Talk TV purports to be the home of free speech these days? Its flagship programme is Piers Morgan. Free speech, we are the alternative. Well, this gentleman, Ed Brodoff, or Brodo, Brodoff, I think, he's an author, a little bit of a conservative. He went on to Talk TV to discuss anti-white racism, and then it all went a bit Pete Tong. What is it? What, what can, what can you... Okay, let, let's say for let's take your argument and say that there is an epidemic of anti-white racism. What can you not do at the moment because you're white? What what can I not do? Yeah, what what have you been discriminated against doing? What, well, there, what, there are many there are government jobs that I can't get. There are government programs that I'm not eligible for. Uh, there are colleges that will not allow me to participate in certain programs. Uh, there are a, a, a plethora of things that I can't do because I'm white. And uh, that is just as wrong as when you have blacks being subjected to that kind of treatment. But the point of affirmative action programs in America is to try to level the playing field because it isn't a level playing field at the moment. Even still, you say, look, slavery is ancient history. It was a long time ago, but we're still in a situation where a lot of people in America certainly are not getting the same opportunities, don't have the same access to funding, don't have the same access to to the the standard of education, for example. Uh, There are exceptions to this, absolutely. There's no doubt about that. But in general, if you're born as, say, let's talk about Birmingham, Alabama, if you're born, born as a black boy in Birmingham, Alabama, you're more likely to go to prison than to Harvard. What does Ed Brodo say? That is another issue entirely, and it has to do with black criminality. Blacks are not being... uh, put in prison uh, because of racism. They're being put in prison because of the huge amount of criminality that is rampant in the black community. Uh, Blacks commit something like eight times as many murders as whites. So the argument that that, uh, blacks are uh, the the object of racism and therefore they're going to jail, that's, that's a false argument. Do you, do, you, do you honestly believe black people are more uh, have more propensity to commit crime? Do I honestly believe? Yeah, read my book. I, I okay, sorry, Ed, Ed, I'm sorry. That's where we differ. I'm sorry, I'm ending the interview. I, I just, I can't, I can't continue this conversation. Apologies, Ed. Thank you very much indeed to Ed. I, I just, I just can't. Talk TV, I give you the home of free speech, Peter Cardwell. A rotten, wretched, rancid, putrid little bastard who calls himself a journalist and who also claims that he is presenting radio at the home of free speech. A senior writer, by senior I mean age, says, I think blacks commit more crimes than white people. That's obviously monumental bollocks when you factor everything in. But rather than take it on and try to dig down into why the guy feels as he does, he ends the interview It doesn't get any more woke than that. And that was Talk TV. How utterly pathetic. Yeah. Okay. This is the independent media. This. You're listening to it. Let me read you from Vice.com today. An Irish conspiracy theorist. God save us. That's me. That's an extraneous comment there. An Irish conspiracy theorist festival purporting to be a family-friendly event celebrating sustainability and rural life has been cancelled after left-wing activists tipped off venues 
that its organisers were behind recent high-profile anti-LGBTQ protests. The Think Local Festival, which promised attendees the chance to discover the roots and taste of tradition, was due to be held on Wednesday and Thursday near Mullingar, Ireland, last week, with tickets selling for €150 for the two-day programme. We are bringing together people, including small suppliers, producers and independent farmers, to build strong, resilient communities, read a statement from the organisers on social media. But on Wednesday, hours before the opening night's feast night was due to be held, the event's website announced that it had been cancelled. The statement gave no reason for the event's cancellation, but an Irish anti-fascist activist told Vice News the cancellation was a direct result of their appeals to two successive venues which had been due to host the event. The activist, who did not want to be named, of course not, due to previous threats and imitation, uh, sorry, intimidation by the far right, said the venue managers had been under the impression the festival was focused on sustainability, rural business and culture. Yeah, this is Sarah Habubi, Jana London and others who are part of thinklocal.ie. They've been on the programme. Horrible this, isn't it? I caught up with Sarah Habubi a bit earlier on and I first asked her, I said, well, how are you feeling about all of this right now? Well, that's a really interesting question, Richie. <laughs> I'm not sure how uh, I'm supposed to feel. I feel OK. Um, through every adversity, there's always an opportunity. I really genuinely believe that. That's been my motto kind of my entire life. Things happen for a reason. And I think that, to be honest, what the attempt was, was to shut us down and to shut us up. However, we have had far more plus publicity and support, and people are even more aware of Think Local than had the event actually gone ahead. So it's, I think it's fired, back, backfired spectacularly against them. That's a lovely attitude and a very positive one and well done on it. Who, um, if you were to be annoyed, and, and I'm sure you have been annoyed over the weekend, if you wanted to have a right go at somebody, would it be those who spend their days and nights trying to cancel people, to shut people down just because they disagree with them, or the venues themselves? Because I'm very disappointed in the venues for backing down to these people. How do you feel about that? Um, I'm not really annoyed at anybody, to be honest. I'm annoyed the, for the, I, I'm more annoyed who travelled far and wide to come and be with us that uh, the event didn't go ahead. Um, in terms of those people who are, you know, hidden behind uh, emails, you know, on social media, phone calls, etc., I just feel really sorry for them, to be honest. I mean, to behave in that way, and I've worked with thousands of people, so I know what I'm talking about. When people behave badly, it's not because they're bad people, but because something really bad has happened to them in their lives. And they they haven't learned how to deal with that. So they just project it onto everybody else. So everyone is an enemy. You know, they're looking. I mean, Dr. Matthias Desmond talks about this as well, which is this kind of free floating anxiety, free floating anger. And they need uh, an object to project that onto. And, um, you know, we presented a very large target, I suppose, for them. In terms of the venue owners themselves, I'm disappointed um, that they didn't just call us in and say, look, this is what's happening. What do you suggest we do? Um, by the sounds of it, and I can't speak absolutely 100% for certain, but by the sounds of it, they didn't go to the guards. They didn't ring the guards. I mean, I mean had it been any other threats, any other, say, for example, if, uh, you know, John and I decided to get married, we decided to, to become lesbians and we were going to get married 
and we were having a wedding and uh, someone rang and said, you know, they were completely anti-lesbians and, you know, that they shouldn't have this wedding. The owners would, would laugh it off and they, yeah. they'd, you know, even if there was a threat of a protest, they would call the guards and they would say, hang on a minute, we're being intimidated and threatened here. I think purely because of the labels that were thrown around, uh, the misrepresentation of us um, in terms of these labels like far right, bigot, racist, you know, et cetera. Um, fascist, which makes yeah. me laugh because fascism, to be a fascist, you have to be in power and control. Um, so because of these labels, they're so loaded, um, they obviously triggered huge amounts of fear in the owners. I'm just disappointed that they just didn't talk to us and sit down with us and say, look, what can we do? Sarah, is um, it your understanding? They, they a knee-jerk reaction. The knee-jerk reaction. Is it your understanding then that it was the Garda Shia Corner who instructed the venue to cancel the event? No, that's not true. No, no. You don't think that? Right. No, no, because in actual fact, and I can't get into too much of the detail, I'm sure you can appreciate that, yeah. because there's actually an investigation uh, is being opened into this. Um, but there was a threat. There was a, a phone call made to one of the other organisers and the person named themselves. They are known to the Gardaí. Um, and they were contacted by the Gardaí to warn them off us, actually, and to warn them away from us, but it just seemed to pour petrol onto the fire. So, uh, you know, kind of inflamed uh, this group even more, and they really went after it. We've also discovered that um, emails were actually sent around to all of the venues within probably an hour and a half radius of um, Malangar. So I was, I was sent a copy of this email, and it essentially says, you know, beware, there's a group of far-right fascist Nazis who are posing, you know, as a, a you know, they're, they're not, they're not telling the truth. If someone comes to you and wants to do this event, they're not telling the truth. This is a covert far-right fundraiser. And, uh, you know, and unfortunately, they were probably primed as well to believe that the minute anyone called uh, to be suspicious. So... Yeah, sorry, what was the question? Oh, the no, Guardian. No, no, no. Yeah, I don't yeah. So, the so the Guardian sorry, didn't yeah. do it. So this is the world we inhabit now. You put on a sustainability um, event for the weekend to talk about rural business and culture. How to? It was it was it was multifaceted. One of the things, of course, in this tyrannical lunatic asylum world we live in, how do we kind of live alongside that and kind of make our own way and not be so dependent on the system? Um, some mm. some people who would consider themselves to be liberal contact the venues and say that you're a lawyer, you and the other organisers. In fact, that's not what it's about, really. You're a bunch of Nazis and you, and you hate LGBTQ people and you want to get together to celebrate how much you hate LGBTQ people, <laughs> which is utter nonsense, right? It's, so it's, it's so, laughable, right? Yeah, basically, in a nutshell, yeah. It's laughable. So the venues are threatened by these people and there must be some transgression of some law here. There must be. So the venues are told by these people, if you don't get rid of Sarah Habubi, uh, Jana and everybody else, think local. If you don't do that, we will work day and night to ruin your business. That's effectively mm. what is going on here. That must be in contravention of some law. It must be. Well, I Blackmailing think, people. I think, yeah, well, definitely. I mean, you know, in terms of our constitutional rights first of all you know they're being threatened in the sense that we have well as far as our you know more still have freedom of speech freedom of association you know etc um but i think given the fact that uh, our minister for justice helen mcintyre is trying to bring this hate speech bill with hate crimes as one of the aspects of this um what it seems is that this is just a one-way street you know, that uh, anyone who's funded by NGOs, you know, they can basically say anything 
that they want to say to anyone who doesn't agree with their policies trying to bring in. Even politicians are joining in with this labeling of far right, fascist, etc. And, um, you know, the whole thing about the hate speech bill was actually the whole idea behind it is to combat violence. Um, but it seems that it's okay if it's directed at us, if it seems to be okay if it's directed at people who don't necessarily go along with the mainstream narrative, who want to find another way to live that is not under the control yeah. um, of, you know, sort of globalist policies, etc. So we must be a massive threat is all I can say that somehow, uh, and we do, and, and the main areas that we were going to be, you know, discussing and looking at as well as being a family fun, a fun day for all the family, you know, we had face painters and acrobatic uh, acrobats and uh, drumming circles and we had you know um toys and games for the for the kids and yeah. food trucks and i mean the other thing is well just to sort of make a point is that these venues lost out the vendors lost out you know our exhibitors lost out local businesses lost out in terms of, of hotel rooms bnb i mean people lost out big time on, on this this was not just us i mean of course we did but it wasn't just us. There's a ripple effect um, when this happens and that, uh, you know, it, it's not just us who loses the money. Um, I know they wanted us to, to be under uh, in terms of financially, but it's, they, don't, they don't seem to care the fact that the businesses themselves are also impacted financially. But the, the main areas we were looking at was, was free speech. You know, it's this and free speech doesn't mean you can just say whatever the hell you want to say. That, that's not what we mean by that. But we, what we mean is that we want to be able to discuss ideas and um, debate, you know, whatever's being, whatever's going on in the news, whatever, you know, again, is being imposed upon us. We want the ability to talk about it and have rational, calm discussions about it. So can that, ask you, that was can, one of the main things. Can I ask you a question on that? Um, sure. If I, look, you should be on national and local radio back in my day when I produced and presented talk radio in Ireland, I'd have endeavoured to get you on my programme and also I would have tried to get one of these idiots on, I call them idiots now, and we would have had 25-30 minutes about this. But look, in the absence of these people and in the absence of the media doing their job, let me do my job and be a bit more neutral than maybe I have been. If I was a gay man and I was convinced, right, that you are homophobic and that Jana is homophobic. And if I contacted you in good faith and said, Sarah, I think what you're doing when you talk about sexual education in schools is wrong and I think you've got an anti-gay agenda, will you allow me to buy a ticket and can I at least take part in some of these discussions at Think Local? Would you welcome me? Absolutely. In fact, we had a, uh, we did have a politician who was uh, going to be joining us to speak, who was um, from, you know, from the coalition, uh, the current governing coalition. So we had we had invited the other side, um, absolutely one hundred percent. Well and done. There was going to be a really really good discussion around um, certain aspects of uh, uh, Agenda twenty thirty that is being implemented. We we are totally open to debate. And just can I and if I can just say as well, LGBTQ plus and all the other letters that are there from what we can see, and I don't and we're not alone is that LGB uh, was hijacked by all the other letters. Um, you know, I, I'm not a, an Irish national, so I can't actually vote in referendums. However, I had I been able to vote, I would have absolutely voted for equal rights uh, for gay people in terms of marriage and um, inheritance laws, etc. In fact, you know, I have many friends who are gay. 
what the, what I see from the just to go into another area, but in terms of the trans ideology, and having spoken specifically to Helen Joyce and interviewed her and read her books, is it is extremely homophobic. In actual fact, it's 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 anti that is anti-gay, you know, because you're not allowed to be gender non-conforming anymore if you are a non gender non-conforming girl if you're very tomboyish uh, you must be a boy and if you're very feminine as a as a boy then you must be a girl and the reality is why aren't we working towards acceptance of who people are and how they present let them that, figure that it doesn't out doesn't yeah. make any sense to me that you would then want to put them through hormone treatment surgery puberty blockers etc um you know why would you why would you do that you know you're poten- you're looking at sterilization you're looking at a lot of these um, young people who've been through, and not just not young people, but they are mainly young people who've been through this, um, have now an inability to conceive and also to have an orgasm. So their social life, their relationship life will be completely limited. Their relationship pool, the dating pool will become very, very small. You're actually restricting these people from having a loving relationship, you know, uh, the chances of that as they go forward. So in actual fact, we, we are the opposite. We are very pro-gay rights. Uh, and I am anti-trans ideology being taught as fact. That I just want to state that in terms of my position. I can't speak for anyone else. And again, I go back to the media. This should be manna from heaven for the media to open this up and to have debates that are long form on the national media to invite some of these queer theory proponents and also people who are gay and lesbian, who, as you rightly pointed out, there are many gay and lesbian groups who are not in any way... Um, supportive of of uh, uh, queer theory and are very concerned about it if we go back to the to the events and to the weekends it's a terrible reality mm. it, because um i like you know i again i've got to be honest put my cards on the table i like what it is that you're you're doing and have attempted to do uh think local.ie i mean do you now just uh, look i know you're not a quitter obviously I, I don't know you personally but i've watched you for a time do you say to yourself well these types of events are no longer viable because wherever we go, we're going to be eventually confronted by the reality. The venue is going to be threatened and they're going to cancel. Or do you say, no, we're, we'll find a way to host these events in the future. How do you approach it from now on, from now on in? Well, the aim was to shut us down and shut us up. We've actually become sort of even more convinced that this is something that has to um, be dealt with that venues themselves in terms of their associations so the hotel associations etc have to have of helping venues there has to be a <clears throat> there have to be protocols that if they receive these threatening phone calls emails um, etc that they are dealt with swiftly and that they don't jeopardize their own businesses etc um, by just caving into this because it's just going to you know the more this it's bullying it's just bullying. There's no other word to, to describe it's it. Blackmail is what it is. Blackmail, threatening, you know, they're obviously threatening their reputation. They're threatening, you know, their businesses. That they're, I mean, I have no idea what they said to them because, you know, they wouldn't share what was the content of the phone calls um, or the emails. Um, so for us, this has got, to, this has got to stop. This is undemocratic. This is, we are living in a society where we still have a constitution and there's a small group of people. They appear to be well-funded, but again, we don't really know for sure. 
Um, but they definitely have the backing of, of people from NGOs because we've seen articles um, and we've seen a lot of support on social media from these people saying kind of, well done, you've closed down this, you know, this uh, uh, event that had this hidden agenda. You know, they have absolutely no proof because there is none. There was no hidden agenda. Um, so in terms of, of going forward, look, you know, we need to regroup and we need to look at, we can't just keep, I mean, we, we got away with it. They canceled four other venues uh, before this happened to us for the last time in terms of this, this one, the last, the, the last event. Um, and we just kept fighting and fighting and fighting. Um, but these people are very well organized and they've obviously got a really good strategy in terms of how they can undermine us. So rather than us sort of going, keep going the way we have been going, um, it is to expose this big time and it's to get the public to recognize that by going along with this, they really are signing their own death warrant in terms of free speech. You know, even if the hate speech bill doesn't go through, the self-censorship and this caving in to cancel culture, um, it's not going to end well for everybody. This is not going to be something that is that is a positive thing for our, our society here in Ireland. So we have to raise awareness. This is and this is they've handed us this on a silver platter. So for that, you know, we just have to to take what they did and we we alchemize it. That's as good a place as any to leave it. You're busy today with all manner of things going on. I am, I'm genuinely sorry it happened to you. You know I'm not going to bring it up again. I've had experience of it six, seven years ago and it's become all too common now. I, 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 I admire too your willingness to kind of have a look at these people not with anger or with bitterness, but with sadness that, that maybe many of these people do not realise what it is they're doing, that it really is the old adage, you know, first I came for the Jews and I said nothing. Uh, you know, these people have got to realise at some stage that if they're left, you know, all alone after everybody else has been erased or cancelled or silenced, you know, the idea that they'll be left to their own devices and left to, to, to inherit the earth and have all the fun in the world they're idiots, these people, if they believe that, you know. And uh, But no, I admire that, uh, Sarah. Sorry about what happened at the weekend, but um, I get the impression it ain't going to be stopping you anytime soon. <laughs> Not a chance. Thanks, Richie. Sarah Habubi speaking to me a little bit earlier on today. It's Tuesday's Richie Allen Show. 23 minutes to the top of the hour. In fact, it's 22 and a half minutes to the top of the hour. Lots of comments on that. Thank you for them. Reach out to me via the app. There is an app for the programme or richieallen.co.uk where it says comment live. Comedy podcast live. An evening of politically incorrect comedy and commentary. Do you remember eight o'clock on a Thursday? Stand on your front door and clap at the sky. <laughs> Guys getting bored with television yet? The plots are getting so ridiculous and the characters are getting so, like, out of there and none of it's believable. Like, I don't know if you watch the same show as me, it's called uh, The News. Thank God for the BBC. We could not have had a pandemic without them. Tell you what I want to go with my tinfoil hat, one of those tinfoil moon buggies people think we rode around the moon on. If you need six boosters for any product in the world, that shit don't work. Andrew Lawrence, Abby Roberts, Alistair Williams, Stanford, July 27th, Katie Hopkins, Newport, July 28th. You will laugh, you will feel better, and you will realise that you're not alone. So do grab your tickets, comedypodcast.live. 
The Richie Allen Show features doctors, scientists, academics and researchers who have been banned by the legacy media. Support Richie now by making a financial contribution at richieallen.co.uk. There, there is a, an email address, admin at thinklocal.ie, admin at thinklocal.ie. They're not soliciting support but um, they do need a bit of help. So if you can help financially or otherwise, uh, admin at thinklocal.ie, Sarah Habubi. Um, yeah, do that. Lots and lots of comment on the climate change stuff again and district heating. Comments coming through the website. Thank you for them and via the app. Let me read a flavour of them before we welcome Giovanni De Stefano back to the programme. Diane says, wait until the real far right becomes involved. It'll be a horrible mess. This far right label is unfair. I know Sarah and there is nothing far right about her. We were on Twitter until I was kicked off. She's a smashing lady, says Diane. Thank you, Diane. Al says, it seems to be the norm these days in mainstream media interviews. If you don't agree or go along with the narrative or if you call it out and question it, you are cut off and not allowed to speak. The same media stooges who will tell you cancel culture doesn't exist. He's referring to Peter Cardwell of Talk TV interviewing an American author and then cutting him off and getting all woke and all virtue signalling when the guy says blacks commit more murders than whites, rather than open up the discussion and try to determine why the man believes as he does, which is what I've done in the past when I've had ultra-conservatives on saying things about black people. I've had them on in the past, and I've taken them on. You know? There was a guy who came on this programme about six years ago who had, did, had done very well in California in Democratic primaries, and he told me, the Jews have an evil gene. I just turned them upside down. You don't have to get all woke and all, well, let's show how wonderfully virtuous I am by standing up for Jews. No, I just turn it upside down. Where are you getting that nonsense from? And, uh, yeah, and it's good listening, isn't it? Jilly reckons district heating sounds like most off-the-wall comment I've ever heard. Where is this all over Europe district heating happening, asks Jilly. Which country? When did it start? And piping hot water through pipes, presumably in the ground to your door, will only make global warming uh, worse. And she says, by the way, it'll be cold by the time it reaches your tap, she says. <laughs> Do you know what, um, um, Jilly, you might very well be right on that. Thanks for that. Uh, Patricia was in touch. Hi, Patricia. She says, Is it wrong to suggest that the climate change fantastics, fanatics, fanatics, she means, are reporting ground temperatures, which are always higher, and not, in fact, air temperatures? Uh, and they might be doing that to keep the fear always high. Just wondering, asks Patricia. Thank you, uh, Patricia. Hi to Isabel, who says, Your man who talked about district heating had it easy. When he was asked to elaborate, it was a woman, uh, about its concept and success. First, she made sure not to mention China, the country which uses district heating the most. I wonder why she didn't mention China. Is it because people associate China with communism, totalitarianism and in general a country that systematically curtails freedoms to retain control over the population? That's a bloody good point, Isabel, who goes on to write another 16 paragraphs, but I just don't have time uh, to read them out. 
Uh, Grace Anne says Sarah is great. She'll get a venue somewhere out there. There will be somebody who is strong enough to stand up to the people who are trying to cancel her. This is Tuesday's Richie Allen show. It's the 25th of July, 2023. I'm Richie Allen. The time is coming up for 17 minutes to the top of the hour. When I return from this musical break, Giovanni De Stefano will be with me. And you do not want to miss this. We'll be talking about Jeremy Bamber, amongst other things. Let's have a tune. This is um, a kind of, not a staple, but this is one we've played on the Sunday show from time to time. It's Lou Rolls and Lady Love on Tuesday's Richie Allen Show. Lady Love. Music from Lou Rawls, Lady Love, 1976, The Richie Allen Show, 14 minutes to the top of the hour. It's good to be with you. Thank you for the messages pouring through the app and also the website. I'm delighted to be welcoming back my old pal to the programme today. Um, He was on with us about a month or just over a month ago. We dealt with a lot then his life, um, his convictions, his time in jail. We're not going to go over all of that again. That's been done. He's been the subject of a couple of documentaries. One which was on Sky and a forthcoming one which is being made by an Irish film director called Jim uh, Sheridan. I'm fond of him. We used to spend hours and hours many years ago when I was working on talk radio in Spain talking about everything from geopolitics to legal issues. Before his incarceration, he worked with, and he really did, Saddam Hussein. Yes, he advocated for Ian Brady. Yes, Harold Shipman and many more notorious figures. He was known for many years as the devil's advocate, the man who would defend anybody. It's a pleasure to welcome back to the programme Giovanni Di Stefano. Giovanni, are you in Milan by any chance? I am not. I'm in southern Italy at the moment. Uh, then the temperature at the moment here, which 1847-647, is 32 degrees. But hell, the devil's advocate is always in the heat, isn't you're, he? You're always in the heat. The reason I ask you this is, I have studied climate change theory for many years, right? Um, as journalistically as possible, keeping my own opinions out of it. And I've concluded that anthropogenic climate change theory is junk science. Man-made CO2 cannot be contributing to global warming. And that the reason this is happening, and we're being told about it, is to gradually take more and more freedom away from us. Now, you might disagree with that, but before you do agree or disagree, isn't it fair to say that the temperatures, and you know this, that are being experienced in Southern Europe, Giovanni, and elsewhere, they do happen every 10 or 15 years or so, sometimes every five years. This is not new, right? It's nothing new about that. And let me tell you, pandemics are every 100 years. You only have to look at the Spanish flu. You have to go back. Every 100 years, there's always something that occurs that pulls the population of the world. It is nature's way of bringing back a balance. You think and checks and balances, you think? So, that's right. I mean, it's nature's way. There's nothing you can do about it. That's why I pay no attention to it, you know, whatsoever. A little bit like Sherlock Holmes. He was only interested in what was relevant and probative. 
that makes not a heap of a difference to my life and it does not change the price of bacon. Brilliant. So when the media is telling us that in Southern Europe people are melting and they can't cope and it's going to ultimately drive people out of these countries and further north, you just don't buy any of that? I told the German Minister for Tourism that if he liked sex and travel, he knew what to do and take his opinions back to his own country. And I'm... We'll, we'll leave that one alone. Before we talk Jeremy Bamber, which has really piqued the interest of, of my listeners, and um, we, we get into all of that and why you're convinced of the man's innocence, I've got to ask you about something else that, look, we know you've been away for some time and... You're a bloke unavoidably detained. Unavoidably detained. And you're a bloke who never kind of backed down from an argument. And I can't imagine that you ever wanted anybody to be excluded from something just because you didn't like their opinions. Are you are you moved by or shocked by, you know, you're back in society now. We live in a world now where if somebody's opinions are deemed to be unpalatable, that person can be cancelled. You'll be aware of Nigel Farage and the bank account. These are strange yeah. times, aren't they, Giovanni? That's a complete, total waste of time uh, there. Uh, the Italian constitution, for people to understand, repudiates war and violence. It's Article 10. I have the same opinion. I, I, I... And he's gone. Any form, and there's no way that you can change your past. No man is rich enough to change back your past. So all these people who want apologies for the slave trade and everything there, what actually, on the basis that someone says, I'm sorry, how does that put a penny extra in your bank account? It doesn't. So what's happened's happened. It's unfortunate. We've moved on. And let's move on further. And let's just make sure that the errors of the yesteryear and the past are not repeated. But all this apology crap and everything uh, 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 there, I'm sorry, I'm just not, you know, with it. You might as well apologise. Should Italy apologise for invading uh, uh, the UK? We actually created Watling Street for you, which is the A1. It's still the same road. But should we apologise for the other other stuff? Should we apologise for killing Bodicea? I mean, it's nonsense. You know, we need to apologise for what we have done today. Not what we have done a thousand years ago or someone's done or brought slave trade and this, that and the other. It's unfortunate, but that's how it was at the time. And let me tell you something else, Richie. I want to see your bloody Harold Wilson come back. I want to see Alf Garnet back. I want to see Love Thy Neighbour back. <laughs> Uh, there. There's nothing wrong with those programs. No, no. But th 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 that's an excellent answer. Um, reparations is a very interesting subject. But the idea now that... Reparations caused the Second World War. It was a direct consequence of reparations. After World War One, you could make that argument. But 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 on the case with the case of Nigel Farage and others, if they could be told by a bank, we are closing your account because we don't like your political opinions. This is relatively new, this, and this is fairly scary, it, it, isn't it? No, it's not new, uh, Richard. Why? For the last five years, certainly in Italy... I said relatively now. Well, yeah, I mean, the last five to seven years, on every application that you make to open a bank account, the question is, are you a politically exposed person? I've been asked that, and I said, I've never exposed myself in my life. I have no allegations of that uh, uh, before. And I've certainly, I've never exposed myself to a politician uh, uh, there. That's how I answer that question. But it is nonsense. However, 
de jure as a matter of law. I am a banker. You are a customer. You come to me. I can make my own decisions on whether I want you as a customer or not. I can create my own niches, my own peccadillos, my own uh, that. It's entirely up to me. This isn't, you know, you're coming to me, but I don't have to accept you. And, and I say to you, I will only there's a bank, for example, in America that only no in India. Sorry, excuse me, in India that only has female clients. I mean, <laughs> clubs in England, whites now admit females, but there's nothing you can do about it. You know, if you are a trader and you only want to sell to Catholics or to Muslims, that is entirely a matter for you. You are not discriminating because contract law comes into it. No, but in the UK, that is illegal. You couldn't set up a business in the UK in 2023 and decide that you were not going to sell to Hindus. You wouldn't be allowed. You'd be sued. You'd be taken to court and you would lose because there are anti-discrimination laws to prevent that happening, right? Well, of course. You know, the, you know, I, you know I, I'm well aware of the Equalities Act 2010. The Equalities Act, As far Act, as yeah. bankers is concerned, if you hold a right wing or left wing or centre wing, or what, why are we having these football terms in politics? Heaven only knows. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, but, but it's but, scary, you know, Giovanni. It's scary that a bank... I, I, I bank with the Halifax, right? My programme... Great bank. A great bank. We love the Halifax. Just in case they're listening in, we love the Halifax. The, the reason I say this is um, my radio show happens to be controversial. Um, it could come to pass that, that Halifax sends me a message at some stage saying, um, we're closing your account. They might not tell me why, but it might be because I've interviewed controversial people. I'm interviewing a controversial gentleman now, but I've interviewed controversial people in the past, people with very extreme opinions. I haven't agreed with them. I've got stuck into them and I've challenged them, but that could come to pass. And the British government says it, it wants to do something about that to make sure that banks cannot do that. In the f- I'll give you the final word on this and then we'll talk Bamber. I think he's gone again. Hello? Yeah, I can hear you. I, I lost you for a yeah. moment there. Final word on that. You know, the idea that you could be told your account is being closed because you have a particular point of view. Final word and then we'll get on to Bamber. If they do that to you, call me. Get in there. Right, we'll leave that there. Now, for our listeners, before Giovanni takes over, um, Jeremy Bamber is probably, probably the most, well, with, with, with notwithstanding uh, the Moore's murders, but there probably hasn't been a, a case that received as much media attention in the UK as the case of Jeremy Bamber. He's been in prison since 1985. That's an extraordinary uh, long uh, period of time to be spent in prison. He was given a whole life tariff. He was convicted of murdering five people. Um, to gain an inheritance, the White House farm murders. This is I'm giving you the very basics of this now. And he was accused of placing the rifle he used in the hand of his sister, a lady who had been diagnosed with schizophrenia, in order to make it look like she did it. A whole life tariff, no possibility of parole. He remains in prison. But an increasing number of people... Um, say that they believe that this is one of the great miscarriages miscarriages of justice in UK jurisprudence history. And Giovanni De Stefano is one of them. And you consulted on this case many years ago. Why? I, rep- I represented Jeremy Bamber for six years. Yeah. Uh, uh, that. Um, there is not a chance in hell that he is guilty of any murder at all, both de facto and de jure. It's unfortunate that the system went as it went. It's unfortunate 
that the trial went as it as it went there. Incidentally, it was a 10 to 2 majority vote. It wasn't even unanimous. So there are not many people know that or pick up on that there. I actually spoke years later to Maurice Drake, the trial judge, who was equally concerned, which is why Maurice Drake, you know, on a five murder, you would normally give it what, what was then called a tariff or a recommendation in those days. Things have changed now. But you know, he recommended to the Home Secretary that he only served 25 years. Now, for five murders, that's a very mild sentence. And that just showed the trial judge's displeasure at having to uh, accept a verdict from a jury and, uh, uh, you know, t- you know, to sentence him. Now, I'm going to tell you why I think that he is uh, 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 innocent and why I know he is innocent. We were allowed, I was permitted, in an incredible um, uh, situation to conduct a lie detector polygraph test upon Jeremy Bamber some years back. I made an application to Long to uh, um, Old Sutton Prison to the governor there. I thought I was going to be told to F off, but instead he said yes. Now, I sort of like started wondering, why are these people going to cooperate with us? Of course, you know, I understood that you know, they were hoping that he would fail the lie detector test and therefore that would be the end of the matter. Now, what happened was that we engaged a polygraph tester paid for by a newspaper, by the way, uh, uh, there. And that I have to thank uh, Gary Jones of The Mirror, who's now an editor at The Express um, uh, uh, there. But he went along, you know, uh, that, that, that road there. He was the Daily Mirror uh, deputy editor at the time. And we paid for that. And five questions were asked of Bamba. Did you kill Neville? Did you kill that? Did you kill Sheila? Did you kill the children? Five separate questions as well as other questions. And you will not be surprised to learn that he passed every single one. Now you say, well, you can fool those there. Yeah. Unreliable, yeah. You might be able to fool one murder, maybe two. But how in hell's name can you fool all five murders? So the Criminal Justice Act 2003, many uh, uh, years after his conviction, there's a section in the Criminal Justice Act 2003 that convicted murderers and rapists and certain uh, uh, other people, when they're released on license, they can have imposed upon them uh, a, a lie detector. So in other words, the government relies upon the lie detector for the conduct of a person who's on a life license. So I wrote to the Secretary of State at the time and said, how in hell, hell's name can you rely upon that on a murderer that has been released from prison and not accept that, you know, it's valid as, as a probative evidence? And what he replied to me, take it to the Court of Appeal. Well, you know, the Court of Appeal does not accept polygraph it needs a, you know it needs an amendment in the criminal justice act and i'm hoping that i may be able to achieve that in the you know in the next parliament it certainly won't happen in this parliament there and if that does become the case then that can that that's number 1 number 2 thanks to justin uh, uh, penrose who was uh, at the time a mirror sunday mirror journalist we published a photograph of sheila Caffell and let me tell you, I put, put myself at risk on this because that's a jailable offence. What both I, the editor of the uh, uh, of the Mirror, and Justin Penrose did. We published a photograph of blood 
coming out of her neck where she'd been shot. Now, that photograph had been taken at 9.42 in the morning when the police had come in and started taking photographs. Blood was still flowing from there. Now, if anyone knows anything about blood, and I happen to know a little bit about it uh, there, the coagulation period is two hours maximum, depending on temperature, depending on position and that. But it's roughly two, which means that she was shot anywhere between seven in the morning and 7.42 in the morning, between that timeline. That's at the worst position because blood was still flowing for, you know, from her neck there. Now, the problem with that is that Bamba was with the police from three o'clock in the morning. He was with them outside uh, White House Farm and therefore he could not have shot her. Now, I did receive a hell of a lot of stick uh, uh, on this there. We also had a question asked in Parliament by his then uh, uh, Member of Parliament. When we went to Westminster, I was there with him, to, you know, to have, he asked the Minister a question on what was happening with the Bamba case and this and the, the evidence that I presented. We had two officers from MI6 come and approach the MP and asked him, what the hell are you doing? Why are you making a big hoo-ha over this? Let him just do his 25 years and then, you know, he'll go. But we carried on, uh, 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 you know, you know, we certainly carried on with what we what we were doing there. But for someone from MI6, now that alerted me to thinking, hold on a second. Why would anyone want to kill Neville Bamber? Why would they want to kill uh, his wife? Why would anyone other than Bamber? Because if Bamber didn't do it, someone did. I mean, they didn't commit suicide. Why would they kill the children? And I came across, and again, now thanks to Dominic Lemansky from the Daily Star, we published an expose that five members of the intelligence department that Neville Bamber was during the Second World War were equally, they were equally murdered in similar circumstances. Scientist Sir Jack Drummond, Sir Oliver Duncan in 1964. Major Michael Lassiter, Professor John Cartland. Wow. And we, we found that there were two other murders as well, all members of the intelligence unit that Neville Bambo, he was a magistrate as well, Neville Bambo, uh, was a part of. So there is something in that there, as if Bamba didn't do it, who did? Why, why so does that, the group, Giovanni, why does the, I suppose, the most prominent of the groups supporting Jeremy, why are they so dismissive of the intelligence agency theory? They're incredibly well, dismissive of it. Bamba's, Bamba's fascinated with the sound moderator. He believes that because if you put the sound moderator on the rifle, you can't kill yourself. You know, the so, silencer, uh, yeah. that. so he went down that road. Now, um, uh, you know, the third issue, you know, is also uh, uh, that it's to do, you know, with the blood. Now, I spoke to, you know, the Venesis, Professor Venesis. So did Caroline Bayford, who works with me. We both, uh, she spoke to him and asked him, there's something wrong with this post-mortem report that you did on these five bodies. One thing, what would you expect to have on the post-mortem uh, uh, report, uh, 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 Richie. What's the most obvious thing you want to know when you find five bodies in there? The time of death. The time of death. What yeah. time when? was that? 
Well, you, I, I won't surprise you to tell you that in the post-mortem, five post-mortem reports, there was no time of death. And the moment we, we questioned Venesis and Caroline uh, questioned Venesis, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. He shut down completely uh, 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 there. Giovanni, can you so, hold that thought? Because this is I want to, I want to come back to the timings. I'm mindful of the fact that we do have listeners not in the UK, and they might not know what's going on. They probably a lot of people saw the dramatization on ITV. But let me just this is going to take me forty seconds. Let me let me tell our listeners this is Jeremy Bamber's account of what happened. Five people were killed um, at the White House farm. Um, in Darcy, in Tullesunt Darcy in Essex, right? Right. This occurred on the 13th of January. No, it didn't. It occurred on, just get the exact August. date there. That's right. Um, it occurred on August, 9th, 7th of August, 1985. Now, this is what Jeremy Bamber says before Giovanni comes back in. He says that he phoned the police or alerted the police to the shootings at 3.30 in the morning on the 7th of August. Right. Bamber says that he had been phoned by his father, Neville. Neville said to him, your sister has gone absolutely crazy with my rifle, with the father's rifle. So the police turned up at White House Farm. They found Sheila Caffell, Bamber's sister. She was dead on the floor of her parents' bedroom. The rifle was leaned up against her throat. June was found in the same room. The twin sons were found dead in their beds in another upstairs room. Neville was found in the kitchen downstairs. The father was found dead in the kitchen downstairs. There were 25 shots, mostly at close range. And that's what Bamber says. He says he came upon this scene after being phoned by his old man to say, your sister has gone mad here. He says he came over, they were all dead, and Sheila was on the ground with the gun up against her neck. Um, well, let me not speculate, but how do we know uh, that she didn't get the gun there, which was kept in a locker, uh, there, and which is incidentally was found a few days, few days uh, later when the police three, went in. There. Three days, yeah. Look. The silencer, yeah. 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 That's so uh, uh, there. How do we know she wasn't trying to shoot at people that, you know, whoever it was that was coming and the father just heard shooting and thought that she'd gone. So we simply don't know. But another thing in a murder case, and I've done, an, you know, a hell of a lot of murder cases. One of the most important things in mur murder is motive. Now, everybody thinks uh, that he wanted the farm. Yeah. Well, there's just one problem with that, my dear friend. The farm was rented, wasn't even theirs. There was no inheritance. There but was did, did he, did he know that? Did he know that? Of course he knew that. I've spoken to Joey. He, he knew that. He lived there. He worked there. He knew He knew the rental agreement uh, there. The house and the farm was rented. So if he killed his parents, you know, he was actually in a worse position because he'd, he'd have to work the farm where he didn't really have to do very much uh, 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 before. Can I ask you and this, Giovanni? Another, hang, hang on a second. Can I ask you this? Can I ask you this before you come back in on, on that? Because there, there is something we've left out here. So the police initially believed him because Sheila had been treated for schizophrenia. So they took Correct. him at his word. And but, that's what I'm coming to. Yeah, but before you come to that, we ultimately can't, and we won't obviously, discount or just kind of skate over the fact that his girlfriend, Mugford, Julie Mugford, told the police that Bamber had confessed doing it to her. Why would she say that? She didn't say he confessed to her. She said she'd heard him say 
oh, I'm going to kill my parents. Now, hold and stop a moment uh, there. I'm going to just, just backtrack on something. When the police believed him, nobody knew, nobody knows what, what I'm now going to tell everybody here. The detective inspector who was in charge of the case, 35 years of age, who believed Bamba, one Saturday afternoon was painting, got up a ladder, was painting the top of, uh, 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 of a wall of his house, mysteriously fell down, broke his neck and died. And someone else took over the case and did not believe Bamba. Now, nobody, nobody's picked up on that before, and we've never told that to anyone before uh, there. But I, I think that it's correct for me to say that there are too many, you know, anomalies. There's no motive. There is that. Yes, you have a girlfriend. I don't know about, you know, the readers here, but, you know, if you enter a relationship, let me tell you, I mean, I've done many divorce cases, a simple pencil that costs 22 pence can become a battleground in a divorce or something there. One of the problems that Bamba has and had, and he still has, he likes women. He likes to change them, you know, like, like Zaza Gabor changed her dresses. I mean, he just likes to go from one to the other. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, and there's no criticism on that there. That's a matter of personal choice. But the trouble is, is that, you know, recollections differ, and women and men can be vindictive sometimes. And, you know, how many men have been caught doing something when their wives have found out they've been cheating and told, you know, and told them them there. Yeah. Now, you know, Julie Mugford, you know, lives in Canada and, you know, good, you know, fair play to her. She did what she did um, there. She, she, she told the jury that he said, I'd like to kill my parents. And let me say something else, too. How many times have we heard, I'm going to kill you, you bloody, you know, it happens all the time. I'll kill him if he doesn't do that. I'll kill. That means nothing when you're having a conversation. But years later, when you come to court and someone says he said, "I'm going to kill him," you know, you get angry. You know, with you know, with your parents, you get angry with your friends, you get angry with your, you know, I'm going to kill. Him. You don't mean it, but you just you know say it as a you know as a figure of speech, and that should not be sufficient. To be able to, you know, no, but there were there were there were other things that I want to mention now. Like Sheila was found with the gun under her under her chin, right? But it's also important to mention Sheila's feet were clean. Now, if she'd been running around uh, the house shooting people at close range, you could argue that there might have been blood on her feet, and he did have blood on his shoes, which, if I'm not mistaken, he said came from a rabbit. That's a bit difficult to take that isn't it no why because i'll tell you why because venesis cleaned the body and that's where they got the photographs from they did not take you know uh, that you know the, the scene of the crime people uh i mean that was one of the worst scene of the crime uh situations uh, you know that i certainly that i've seen there was and why was there no video taken and let me tell you something else too 550,000 pieces of unused material has still to be disclosed to the defence. 550,000 pieces of paper, you know, there. Where's the video of the, uh, of the farm when, you know, when they went in? They took it, but they refused to show it to the defence. They refused. This has the hallmark of something seriously wrong. Now, you say, 
why would the government do? Why would that? that yeah, I but before we come to that, hang on, we're not done with the evidence yet now. It's 13 okay. minutes past the hour. Hang on a second. Because you just introduced something there that I haven't read anywhere. You said well, the no, because you haven't had access to the you know to no, all the documentation but, I did. But you're saying that it's it's been it's taken as a given or it has been recorded that Denise has cleaned uh, the body. I I, I you you he might believe that to be true. He cleaned quite a bit of the bodies. He cleaned the kids. You know he didn't want the photo. I mean like. I was not traumatized because I'm accustomed to seeing like dead yeah. bodies. I've done a, a lot of that in Iraq and that and that. But I was, you know, shocked. You know, I mean, we're talking about, you know, shooting, you know, eight year old children. I mean, this is like way over. Uh, uh, it, it is a cardinal mortal sin that if you are religious, you are going nowhere but it's terrible. Burn. It's terrible. But I, I don't believe for a minute that somebody cleaned her feet. I don't buy that. I really Not don't. Just, well, I mean, Benicis did. It's in the. It, it's in. It's in the report. You know. You know. He's. He, you know. He cleaned. Not just the feet. He cleaned the hands. And he repositioned because the gun was. There are. There's photographs, which I might still have. Uh, hang on, uh, Giovanni. Uh, hang on. You're saying the cop cleaned the feet of Sheila. No, Benicis was the uh, po was was the was the doctor that that did the post. Oh, thank you. I thought you said the nieces for some reason. I, I didn't know who the bloody nieces were. So sorry. Yes. Yeah, so so and has he has he acknowledged this that before the coroner? It's in the report. It's in the bloody report. I mean, it's 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 in you know that that quite a bit of the bodies were they had to be moved because of the positions that they were before the photographers came in. That's why I wanted. I begged Essex Essex police to very kindly show me the video. It was one of the first times that they'd use it. Where the hell is the video? Because then we would have seen where everything was. There's a Bible next to her as well with a little bit of blood on there, conveniently put on one page. There's a lot of stuff that had been moved. I mean, there was a number of crime scene photos, which in my view were not consistent with taking a photograph at the scene of the crime because you'd have one photograph there and then, you know, the gun was slightly uh, elsewhere. The Bible was slightly elsewhere. So as people were, I, I don't know if you've ever been to a scene of a crime, but when someone no. is laying on their stomach or on their back, the police will, you know, or the, you know, certainly the scene of crime uh, investigators will, will, will roll the body over to see what, if there's any shots in the back or they should. Of course, they didn't do that in Palmer's case, uh, 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 there in England, but that's another story. This is, um, I, I want to go He's back. He's not guilty, but I want to tell you, it's important for you to know why this man has to remain in prison and why they will fight tooth and nail for him to re remain now, in you prison. Reckon, I want to go back to this because this is, I've, I've come across this theory before, but as I said, Bamber's supporters, the most vocal anyway, they don't buy this. The idea that his father, because of his past, may have been uh, the target. Now, his old man was an RAF pilot, but as you said, he'd worked in, he'd worked as a magistrate. In British intelligence. He worked in British intelligence too. And you said that some of his colleagues... Um, Five of his colleagues were murdered in very facsimile situation. Well, how, hang on a second. Now, you're not getting away with this, you with your legal head. I'm not letting you away with this. When you say very similar, how similar? Let me tell you, scientist Sir Jack Drummond was murdered with his wife Elizabeth and 10-year-old daughter on a camping holiday in France in 1962. Sir Oliver Duncan murdered in Rome in 1964 and government documents on the murder are still confidential and everything there. 
Major Michael Lassiter was stabbed to death outside the block of flats in Canprat. Professor John Carton was also known to be an agent, was murdered on a camping holiday in Provence with his family, with two children. I mean, it, we're talking about the murder of a, not just a single person. And if you want to target one person, it's best to murder all five because then people won't know who the hell you're targeting. Now, were these but, men, how close were these men to they Neville all were, Lambert? They were all in his unit. They were Every single one was in his unit. I will send you... I think you may have even seen the story that I wrote on there, and I, I and I detailed it very, very that. Now, why is it important for Bamba not to be released? I tell you why, because the thought in Essex that a person has killed five people in that way and is out is frightening for the community. We might have just we just bang you're back, up you're Bamba. Back. You're back. You Sorry, know, we, we lost you. We lost you for a second. We lost you for a second. So, so people at ease. You think public confidence, but again, I want to go back to Neville. My final word on when I say my final word, I don't know anything about any of this. But I'm a journalist. I've been a journalist for many years. I've spoken yes. to a lot of bullshitters. I've listened to, you know, I've met with a lot of guys who can pull the wool over your eyes and pull your leg. I, I'll tell you, I, I can, I can believe very easily. We've spoken about this years ago on the radio. The amount of people disappeared by the intelligence agencies. We could talk about it for hours. I, of course, believe that the intelligence agencies are more than capable of erasing one of their own. But this is my problem. They don't tend to do, as you described, just rock up and murder everybody. If they wanted rid of Neville Bamber, it'd be much easier to get rid of him in a car accident or drop something in his Weetabix or do something a lot more quieter that makes it look like he had a heart attack. I just can't believe they'd send an agent into a farmhouse and say, kill Neville, that but kill everybody more than one there. Agent. Those murders needed more than one person. It needed two people. And incidentally, I found a piece of, do I found a document which hadn't been disclosed before. So when the police gave me some documents, which said that at 5.55 in, uh, uh, in the morning, a police officer saw a shadow in the house uh, uh, there just walking by, uh, you know, just r running through there, which is somewhat coincidental with the time of death of some of these, uh, 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 you know, certainly of Sheila uh, uh, there. But you say you cannot believe this is exactly the state that people want you to be in. If they're going to kill one agent, it's best to kill the whole family because then the blame can be put on somebody else or something else. They can say it's a madman, a crazy person uh, there. Yeah, but you're Why conveniently, hang on, you're conveniently ignoring what I said. I said that they would ordinarily, and I know guys. Ordinarily. I, I, know, I know mercenaries who were in Africa in the 70s, British mercenaries who ended up in prison and... Famous guys that made the press in the early 80s that were released, right? Angola and stuff like that. So I know these guys. Some of them went into business for themselves. And they've told me privately that they, they, they don't do messy. In fact, they don't try to make it look like murder at all. They try to make it look like something happened, like a heart attack or a stroke or something. These are mercenaries. We're talking about, I mean, scientist Sir Jack Drummond had his whole family, you know, two children, his 10-year-old daughter, in, 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 in almost similar 
shot in and was the anybody arrested was anybody arrested for for the murders of those other agents or any nothing nada you're fact, kidding I, me I, I only only last month i tried to find the file on charlotte Duncan's murder in rome because obviously it's in my territory and it's still sealed you know uh, are there and you just simply cannot get information on it uh, the british you know have asked the italian government to seal it i will still continue my quest for that there the same with michael lassiter you know, uh, in Cannes in France, uh, in a block of flats there. Professor John Cartland also on a camping holiday in Provence. Also, you know, his family uh, that. And it's just too coincidental. Well, it's, you're, you're right, you're right. It's re like if it happened, as you described it. It's too it, coincidental. They're all it's, part it's of a unit. They're all ridiculous. part of the yeah. intelligence unit. And all of them are dead. It, it bears investigating. Some of our listeners, or most of them, are on your side. It's got to be said. Nick Wortley. Hi, Nick. He says, the phone was off the hook and put back on while Jeremy was outside Correct. with the police. 100% says Nick. I don't, know how, I don't know how he knows this, but, but he's in agreement with you. because it's come out in, in one of the appeals. If he's in prison for the murder of five people, his nearest and dearest, and he's been there for nearly 40 years. That is unimaginably horrific. How could he possibly keep his sanity under those circumstances? I'm not sure I could. Well, you have to do the best you can. I can just talk from experience. Yeah. Uh, they do the best you can. Oh, and there's just another thing, of course. The biggest Geiger counter is prison. Prison, you know, uh, takes no bullshit from people. Remember, there is a man that has murdered two children aged eight. He would be seriously damaged and attacked. He He's only be. ever had one fight in 40 years over a snooker game. And think about, now, Ian, think about Ian Huntley. Every time Ian Huntley is right. alone with a prisoner. hasn't, because people, you know, look at the evidence, you know, he talks to people. And it, you'd be surprised how prisoners can actually... I'd love prisoners to be on juries because they are much, much better finders of fact. They won't take any bullshit from anybody. They know if someone's lying to them straight away. It's funny you mentioned this. It's funny you mentioned this. I interviewed several years ago a lovely gentleman called Michael O'Brien, one of the Cardiff News Agent 3. Michael, lovely fella, he was wrongfully convicted of murder and was later on acquitted. And he spent time with Jeremy in prison and he also spent time with Charles Bronson God love him and well, uh, Bronson didn't kill anybody but that's, no that's no fine. and he's been in jail forever hasn't he but Michael yeah. O'Brien one of the Cardiff News Agents 3 a lovely bloke a great speaker he said Richie I spent a year or two whatever it was I can't remember but a considerable amount of time in jail with Jeremy I'm telling you 100% this guy did not do it says Michael O'Brien he did, he not, did do not do it, it. He's, he hasn't and it's time that the government now started this stew. Those perpendicular ponces that are in Whitehall there, that I call them there, need to get a chill pill and you know wake up to reality. If a person is not guilty or there is a doubt or even more than a reasonable doubt, they need to release this man before the damage is done. They're hoping that someone will kill him or he'll die of natural work, that, and then that will be the end of it. But that won't be the end of it because history will tell its story uh, uh, there. And he is definitely 100 billion percent 
not guilty. And he's still of- a young man, Giovanni. This is the thing about him. He's still a young man. He's 62. He'll make a life for himself. Yeah, it, after 40 years, you know, uh, there. And there'll still be lots and lots of ladies that will be after him. Good luck. I'll tell you this. Uh, look, there are things I still don't like, you know. He, when when the funerals happened, he did the whole grief thing in front of the cameras, didn't he, in the microphones. But yet not oh, long... Yeah, but hang on, but not long after that, he was overheard, you know, making kind of smutty jokes at the funeral. I mean, I mean, well, innocent or not, I don't a, think he's the nicest guy that ever lived, right? He had an interesting relationship with his parents. As you know, one of them worked in Buckingham Palace. I mean, you know, he, he told me that. And of course, I said, look, you know, we need to tell people that because it makes a difference, you know, to your personality. He's actually a very, very, very nice and intelligent guy. But his problem is women. He, he, he cannot, you know, keep to one at a time. You know, he, you know, I mean, obviously in prison, it's a different situation there. But there's nothing wrong with that. As a young man, why shouldn't he? My son's 27 years of age, Jan Luca. I don't know. He's got this girlfriend here, that girlfriend. I mean, one is enough uh, for me as far as I'm concerned uh, there. Yeah. But, you know, because it, all, all it does is that what turns out as pleasure turns up into a stress. You don't know what lie you're telling who, including to yourself. But some people run their lives that way. And that is what has cost him a life sentence. Let me read Not some more comments, Giovanni. Let me read some more comments. Jenny says... Let me read two before you interrupt. Why did the police rule out the sister, says Jenny. I know two people, one with a sister who had schizophrenia and one with a son who had it. And in both cases, their schizophrenia-afflicted relative attempted to kill them and other members of the family. They are now under high-security psychiatric care. Just park that, because it's a legitimate question, just for a moment. And Faisal came on to say, as regards the intelligence agents coming in to, to do what they did if, if you're right he says they would only kill the whole family in his opinion if they were trying to send a message who could they be trying to send that message to asks Faisal so those, those are two very interesting points by our listeners well the answer to the second one I have no you know simply have no idea who they were sending the message to but sometimes there's no message required it is just to eliminate in the same way that Drummond and all the other people were eliminated in almost similar styles over a period of time there. I have no idea. I don't know what Neville knew. He, you know, he was elevated to be a magistrate for, you know, for the area there. But one thing that he didn't have, and that was money. He did not have money. I don't know. Maybe he was going to write a book about his time in. I, I, I just simply do not know. That would be speculation. My role was to put forward before you know, a court there. This is because there's no obligation on a defendant to say who did kill if you didn't. But sometimes you have to say, well, look, have we thought about this? Have we that? And there's, and how did that police officer die? He fell from, I mean, how convenient that at 35 years of age, a detective inspector, healthy, falls from the top of a ladder on a Saturday afternoon, breaks his neck and dies. And the next person that takes over the case is the one that does not believe Jeremy Bamber. Because if that guy had still been alive and he hadn't died, Bamber would have been out the last 40 years. He would never... It sounds like the infamous Clinton body count, but that's a whole other story for another day. Isn't it? Uh, go back to Jenny's point. It's a very good point. I've interviewed people over the years, not often, but, but back in my mainstream days, I interviewed people who 
had to deal with uh, either dealing with schizophrenia themselves or relatives who were afflicted by that. Jenny's point is a good point. People who do have that condition can do the most extreme things, including attempt to kill people. You know, Sheila was, it was completely understandable why, why, why Sheila might do that, says Jenny. That's what she says, yeah. Well, I, I can't disagree with her yeah. on that. That is a possibility. But there are a number of poss- possibilities. But what we have to concentrate on here is not who did do it, if Bamba didn't. You know, we have to now, you know, you know exonerate Bamba from doing it. Whoever did it is for the authorities to find but out. But hasn't he I exhausted? Just, um, hasn't he exhausted all of his appeals? No, it's, no. You can still you, you can go till till the cows come home on the CCRC. You know, you can keep going point after point. But the issue here is another issue uh, that I I mean I spoke to Morris Drake. You know, his trial judge, uh, who technically speaking shouldn't have spoken to me. He lives in Essex as well, so I went to see him. And we had tea together uh, uh, there. The trial judge was not satisfied. I also spoke to his defence counsel, who was the recorder of Westminster. Ironically, the man that was going to try me, uh, Rivlin, there. Then he retired and someone else did. But it's a complete weird set of circumstances that I'm going to the Southwark Crown Court, talking to the recorder of Westminster who potentially has a trial on me there, and I'm talking to him about when he was defence. And he also was not satisfied under any circumstances as to the, res- you know, you know, you know, the result of that um, there. And as far as, you know, the MP, uh, Andrew, I forget his surname now, you know, and I was there with him, two members of MI6, the security service, said, look, leave this alone. You know, this man will go after 25 years. The mistake Bamba made, and I told him, not to appeal that 25 years. He obviously it's a matter for the Well, if he didn't do it, if he didn't do it, he, how could he possibly fathom spending 25 years in jail for well, something no, he didn't do? No, the 25 years was coming up. He wanted to reduce the um, uh, 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 the tariff there, and instead of reducing it, they increased it to whole life tariff, and that's one of the reasons why I went off record. Because if I give you advice and you don't listen to it and it goes wrong, I, I can't represent you any further because it means you have no more confidence in me. And that went terribly wrong. And I'm so sorry that it went wrong for him, but it wasn't certainly down to me. That was a choice of his with other people that he went to court and got himself a whole life tariff. The man deserves to be free. should you- have been freed a long, long time ago and does not deserve any tariff at all. It should apology more than anything You're else. listening to Giovanni De Stefano, the man dubbed the devil's advocate. It's uh, the Richie Allen Show. We were going to do Lord Ho-Ho, but we'll save that for another show because Wayne has posed the question, which might take us 10 or so minutes to kind of digest. I love this. Wayne is very interested in listening to Giovanni and he's reminded of Barry George, the man convicted but later acquitted for the murder of the popular presenter and journalist Jill Dando. I'm interested to know if Giovanni has any thoughts on the Jill Dando case. From the beginning, says Wayne, I believed it was the work of a professional, possibly sanctioned by the intelligence community. Um, Barry always seemed like the ideal choice for a patsy. Wasn't that a massive case at the time, the Jill Dando murder? Well, I had some involvement in that, regrettably, there, because with Mike Mansfield, who represented him, uh, the allegation was that it was a Serbian hitman 
that came and killed Jill Dando because she was reporting positively on NATO attacks on Belgrade. Absolute crap. Total nonsense. And I tell you how, and I, I did speak to the police about this as well. Had there been any hint whatsoever of a Serbian hitman coming to London to do something like that, Giovanni Di Stefano would have had an inkling and would have had something. And remind us why you would have had, because I know this to be because true. Because I was, I, I, I was the special advisor to President Milosevic and advisor also to Jelko Raznatovic at Arkan. That's the Serbian right. guard of volunteers right. there. That is true, I was one way. of the most powerful people in Belgrade there, and, that, and they had nothing whatsoever. And I was mad as hell with Mike, even though he's my colleague and I like him a lot there. I was angry as hell that he, but he had a job to do. He had to say, same as I'm saying on, on Bamba, if Barry George didn't do it, who the hell did? And so he picked something at random, and that was very naughty of him. But he's still my friend, you know. So who, I mean, Barry George didn't do it then, right? He definitely um, didn't do it. He, was, did. he was not capable of doing it. I mean, he didn't have, I mean, with, with great respect to Mr. George, uh, 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 that to kill a person like that in that manner and to get away with it into that needs an expert. You need to think of everything in advance, especially in the days of DNA. In the old days, when you only had old fingerprints and stuff like that, that was one story. You might be able to blag it, but you certainly can't do that now. Now you are, if you kill someone, inevitably you are going to get caught one way or another. Can I tell you what I think there. about Jill Dando? Um, an old friend of ours, when I say ours, I mean the programme, somebody I would have been interviewing in Spain around about the same time I was interviewing you, is uh, David Icke, who has written many books on, yes. on, on on the world as he sees it and where it's going. And David had been approached over the years, way back, by people, because he worked at the BBC as a sports presenter, as a breakfast sports presenter and what have you. And David came to believe, I think, based on credible evidence he was shown, evidence he couldn't really divulge really, um, because it was given in confidence, that Jill Dando knew about paedophile rings at Westminster and at the BBC, and had in fact given paperwork to BBC management saying there are groups of people in this organisation who abuse children, it also happens at government level, and here's the info. And a lot of people believe that had something to do with her assassination. What do you think of that? Is that plausible? That That is a plausible word. Anyone that has information about anyone who's in power runs a risk, a serious risk and a very real risk of being eliminated simply for having that information. Remember the old adage that I, I, I you know, when we had a, a, a chat, I said, the man who minds his own business is rarely killed. Yes. That was something... Of, that's right. That I learned in, in Yugoslavia <laughs> there. You know, and that's something that I've always said, you know, you just yeah. need to keep yourself to yourself and just, you know, make your direction. I Ask. love this, Giovanni. A closed mouth catches no shrapnel. I love that. Can I, can I ask you this? You, in the 80s and 90s, were a mover and a shaker, right? I mean, you were a mover and a shaker beyond the 80s and 90s. 
And you rub shoulders with people in television, in films and entertainment. Now, you did, right? I mean, I said to you last time, and I wasn't trying to insult you. You know I wasn't, because I'm fond of you. Whatever about things that went on, I'm fond of you. I said it because it's true, right? I mean, you're a proper... Uh, your story is like something that would be dreamed up by scriptwriters in <laughs> in Beverly Hills. No, it is really, right? The, the, the good and the bad, no doubt about that. So here's the question. Did you ever hear whispers in the 1980s and 1990s that Jimmy Savile was a predator? I heard whispers much later on. And I remember uh, just before he died, speaking to Gary Jones, uh, at the who was then in the Mirror. He was one of the sub-editors in the Mirror. He's now the, the editor of The Express. I said, look, I want to write a story about Jimmy Savile there. And he said, don't do it, Joe. You'll ruin yourself because... The man is a legend. And I didn't do that. And that is one of the few regrets that I have in life that, you know, I could have done something about it beforehand. I could have written the story up um, there. Remember that I defended Jonathan King as well uh, uh, there. And in that operation, Operation Utree, I think it was run from Guildford, the Guildford police there. I have a lot, a lot, a lot of names that are on that list there. But why did they choose Jonathan King instead of um, uh, Jimmy Savile? Or I'm not going to name the other people because it really isn't fair. But I know the people, you know, there's a, there's a list of people. Are any of them alive? Some, quite a few of them are alive. People, but, hang know, on, hang on, hang on. So some of these names on the list of people believed to be abusing children are, are alive still, and are walking alive. around. And, and they were subject to a, a review by the guilt of police in, you know, there and possibly at some stage could still be. But the point of the matter is, is that when you review these cases, these, these historic cases, um, you have to have a reasonable prospect of conviction. And it's very, 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 very difficult uh, 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 there. Rolf Harris was convicted, of course, there. I don't know whether he was convicted he actually wrote to me uh, uh, when he was at Lincoln Prison, you know, asking for advice on immigration. Because remember, he's an Australian citizen. He had no right to stay. He should have been deported. But he managed to, you know, you know, to, you know, uh, you know, to blag that I gave him some advice, uh, you know, from there. But I don't know whether he did what he did uh, that. I don't know. Uh, I do believe that Jimmy Savile abused many, many children yeah. uh, there. But unfortunately... Nobody seemed to be able to do anything about it. Is it possible, I mean, Giovanni? Is it possible? Is it possible that I I heard a great um, adage or saying, which is an American saying, American political saying years ago, and it was um, something along the lines of a gigantic fart in a room, a big loud fart will cover up lots of other smaller emissions. And I Correct. thought, what a wonderful thing. So is it possible that when the police started investigating Bill Roach from Coronation Street and Michael Lavelle and when they sent That's helicopters, it. when they sent helicopters after Cliff Richard, that what they were actually doing was covering up even bigger pedophilia at the heart of the establishment? To kind of demonstrate to the public, well, look, we are taking pedophilia seriously. What they were going—they were going after innocent people in many cases. 
and in reality. So that when they went after innocent people, they could say, oh, these are just crazy conspiracy theories about paedophile rings. Look, we looked into it. We arrested Cliff Richard, which they didn't. We, we, we arrested the Coronation Street star. It's all a load of nonsense. When in fact it isn't nonsense, but they were trying to create that kind of subterfuge. What, what do you reckon? You're spot on uh, there. That is exactly their modus operandi. And I wrote a story which got me into quite a bit of trouble subsequently about a high court Lord Justice of Appeal uh, about him when he was younger, being a member of a paedophile uh, gang at Cambridge there. And would you believe it that when it came to my turn to have my appeal, who do you think sat on that, uh, 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 that bench there? That very same one that I had written about. Notwithstanding that, you know, you know, we wrote and said, look, you should recuse yourself. But what he then did was that when he dismissed my appeal, and luckily now it's with a proper judge in the Court of Appeal uh, uh, there, he retired early, which means that there's no more that could be done, uh, uh, you know, about him there. So I know, you know, from Operation New Tree, the names of people, and I have them uh, uh, there, who were investigated. There's some singers, some historic singers. Cliff Richard certainly wasn't uh, 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 on there, and Bill Roach certainly wasn't, where they turned up from hell over nose there. But there were a lot of others. There were business people, there were bankers, you know, and there were politicians and there were judges. Do you want to hear a bit and of audio? Do you want to hear a quick bit of audio? It's like 40 seconds. Um, this is taken from a BBC programme which aired in 1995 entitled Westminster Secret Service. And you're about to hear, you may very well have heard the clip, but some of our listeners may not have heard it. A man who is now dead called Tim Fortescue. And he was Edward Heath's chief whip. And what he describes is, to say that it's chilling would be to, not to do it justice. Let's have a listen to this. He talks about how politicians have been kept in line by the Tory party. Listen. It might be dead. Let me get right back to the start of this. Anyone with any sense who was in trouble would come to the whips and, and tell them the truth and say, now this, I'm in a jam, can you help? It might be debt, it might be um, scandal involving small boys or any kind of scandal which um, a member seemed likely to be mixed up in. They'd come and ask if we could help and if we could, we did. And we would do everything we can because we would store up brownie points. If I mean that sounds a pretty, pretty nasty reason, but it's one of the reasons. It's yeah, we, we, an MP might come to us and say, "I'm in trouble because of a scandal involving small boys," and we would do everything we could to get them out of trouble because we could store up brownie points. That's a chief whip of the Tory party. That is absolutely correct. Absolutely correct. And let me say something else too. Nothing has changed. Nada. Niente ha cambiato. Everything is exactly the same as it is, except they have different style of suits and they have different style of hairstyle and they have different ways of talking. Nothing's changed in Westminster and nothing's changed as well in the High Court in the Strand. Let's, you still have that situation. Let's pick this up again um, at the end of the summer. Um, we'll talk Lord Ho-Ho. But I wanted to ask you a couple of quick personal, not too personal questions before we move on. Um, how are you dealing with being out and about? 
it's just simple. I mean, I, I li li listen, I'm a human being. I mean, I just get on with it. You know what? how I deal with it. You know, wherever you put me, you can put me in a hospital. I mean, you know, I have Parkinson's. I have prostate cancer. You know, I just bloody get on with it. You know, I just simply cannot bear moaning and groaning and blaming the whole blasted world except myself. Just get on with it. Grab the bull by the horns and hope it doesn't stick it in you there. So I just move forward and and, and that. And there's lots of people that, are, especially in Italy, I'm, you know, I'm very, very, very well liked uh, uh, here in Italy because the Italians and the Italian government believe that I've had a raw deal and believe that, you know, there are serious issues with how the British dealt with me. The American government allows me to go to America anytime I want. I had a letter from the ambassador. All I have to do is say where I'm going, what flight I'm on and what flight I'm back and where I'm staying. That's it. So for a person, you know, technically speaking, you know, who has been convicted of that, you know, my bar association also, uh, as you know, you, you say it don't mean this, it don't mean, but whatever it is, they still allow my membership uh, there. And not only do they allow it, they pay 10 years dues. So all these things put together, you know, you have to say, well, what the hell is going on in, you know, in the UK? Why have they kept this man in this? But I try not to think now about the past. I need to think about Haw Haw, about Crippin, the man with the golden glasses. Haw Haw is terribly exciting. Why don't you I'm do really a podcast? We're going to run out of time in about 65 seconds. Well, the podcast seconds. has been done already. By no, 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 your own one. Why don't you set up a camera and do your well, own? We might just do that. It's a question of time. You know, when I, the yeah. Haw Haw documentary, you do the budget. I'm ho hoping to bring on board Jason O'Toole, who's just written a book about someone you know very well and a documentary about John Gilligan, my client. And I'm right. in that book as well there. So when that comes out on the 4th of September, the probably the killer of Veronica Guerin may may well be uh, revealed. I don't know. I've not read it. But, you know, on Haw Haw, you know, Jason is now a very, very famous and good director there. And he may come on board and finish that. And other projects. We have a, a motion picture called The Monaco Affair, which we're in development, you know, we've got uh, um, the trial of Adolf Hitler, which I'm, you know, I'm, I'm contracted to do to defend Adolf Hitler. Uh, you know, uh, there, that, that's that's a that's a project with HBO and everything there. So that's something I'm busy. I've got time to think about how people have badly treated me in the UK. It's over. It's done. Let's move on. I forgive them. Good to have you back today. Um, enjoy the rest of your evening there and we'll be in touch in, I mean, I'll be away for a couple of weeks in August. Uh, in September, I'll drop you a bell. We'll talk ho-ho and we'll talk uh, John Gilligan and uh, Gilligan even and Veronica Gearan. But um, what do I say? And do Dirty I say? Holland, your friend uh, 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 Dutchie as my, well. My that, friend, my friend. I'm a law-abiding citizen, my friend. I don't consort with gangsters. I'll have you well, know. Well, he, he was only convicted of drugs. I mean, he wasn't convicted of murder or anything like that. There was no real... But that's a something... We'll leave that... When we'll I leave say that friend, there. But Don Corleone was never convicted time. of murder either. But that's, that, you know, that's another... That's another day. Great to have you back. Thanks for sharing some of your God time with us today. You. Fascinating. Thank you very much. Thank you, Richie. Have a nice evening. You too, Giovanni. Giovanni De Stefano, the devil's advocate there. Fascinating. The Jeremy Bamber case. Can you imagine if indeed it is true 
that this man didn't do it. You're thinking of the Birmingham Six, you're thinking the Guildford Four. I interviewed, God, I interviewed Jerry Conlon more times than I can remember over the years. Paul Hill, to be locked up in prison for something you didn't do, to be accused of the most heinous crimes. And if you didn't do them, how could you not lose your mind? I I don't understand it. I know that the human mind is a strong thing. It's a, It can be very strong. It's capable of more than people think, maybe. But um, if he's innocent of it. Just to mention Michael O'Brien, if you do a search on Podomatic and look for Richie Allen, Michael O'Brien. Michael was lovely. I should reach out to Michael again and invite him back on. Michael was wrongfully convicted of murder in Wales many years ago, sent to jail, spent, I don't have the notes to hand, but I think he spent seven or eight, maybe nine years in prison for a murder he didn't commit before being exonerated. And during the time he was in prison, he did meet and spend time in prison with Jeremy Bamber. And he swears, um, by almighty God, does Michael O'Brien, in his opinion, that Jeremy Bamber didn't commit those murders back in 1985. The Richie Allen Show, the time is coming up now for 11 minutes even, 10 and a half minutes to the top of the hour. Comedy Podcast Live, an evening of politically incorrect comedy and commentary. Do you remember 8 o'clock on a Thursday? Stand on your front door and clap at the sky. Guys getting bored with television yet? The plots are getting so ridiculous and the characters are getting so, like, out of there and none of it's believable. Like, I don't know if you watch the same show as me, it's called uh, The News. Thank God for the BBC. We could not have had a pandemic without them. Tell you what I want to go with my tinfoil hat, one of those tinfoil moon buggies people think we rode around the moon on. If you need six boosters for any product in the world, that sh** don't work. Andrew Lawrence, Abby Roberts, Alistair Williams, Stanford, July 27th, Katie Hopkins, Newport, July 28th. You will laugh, you will feel better, and you will realise that you're not alone. So do grab your tickets, comedypodcast.live. Comedypodcast.live, The Richie Allen Show, welcome back. Joe says, is it surprising about the MP, says Joe, when you consider the monarch of the country is that way inclined uh, says Joe, Joe, there's no evidence whatsoever and I have absolutely zero time for old jug ears and his daft sons and his daft in-laws. No interest. No evidence that he's ever committed any crimes. It's got to be said because it's the truth. Now, before you start screaming, however, however, I believe that the Metropolitan Police should have interviewed Prince Charles, as he was then, about his long association and close friendship with Jimmy Savile. No doubt about that. No doubt about that. That isn't saying there's no smoke without fire. That is saying you were a very close friend and confidant of Savile. That's no exaggeration. They spent a lot of time together. And we'd like to speak with you about what you might have known about what was going on at that particular time, but no chance. Wayne came back to say regarding Cliff Richard. I I read, says Wayne, he was investigated as part of an investigation into his close friend, the preacher Billy Graham. Uh, Graham was said to be running a satanic paedophile ring. Interesting as that was, 
it never came out in the mainstream media, says Wayne. Thank you for that. Nick says, just like Ian Huntley and Maxine Carr, a brilliant writing by Joe Vialis, still available online, uh, claims the girls were murdered by US airmen. As there were 26,000 on Lakenheath preparing for the invasion of Iraq and Blair wouldn't want to upset Bush by arresting Marines. So they went after Huntley and the media circus joined in. Nick says he likes the show. Nick, thank you. Um, I haven't read anything along those lines. But I do remember the Soham murder case like it was yesterday and the coverage of it. And Maxine Carr and Huntley being interviewed live on the scene by Jeremy Thompson of Sky. I'm convinced that, that, that Huntley did it. Huntley did it, in my opinion. And I think, <coughs> excuse me, I think Maxine Carr got away far too lightly. But that is just my opinion. Uh, thank you for the messages, by the way, to, to, to you, um, for every one of them that have come in today. Very interesting indeed. It's uh, the Richie Allen Show. Tomorrow, we're going to be speaking about the assassination of John Lennon. I really can't wait for that. Very interesting. We're also going to be talking about um, how a man... Uh, we're going to be speaking to a gentleman who has lost his job at a working with a troop of scouts because of his pro-Palestinian anti-Zionist positions. His, again, cancel culture. Somebody losing a position, something they like doing, working for the scouts, or leading a troop, if that's how you say it, losing his position because of his political opinions. And then we'll talk John Lennon. So it's going to be an interesting programme uh, tomorrow, so it is. Been an interesting week thus far. Julie's been in touch to say Tony Gosling. What do you mean, Julie? By saying Tony. Um, just Tony Gosling, two words. What does that mean? Is it relevant to the Jimmy Savile stuff? It might be. I'll be probably off air by the time you get back to me. So uh, may, may, maybe I'll pick it up uh, tomorrow. That is it for me. Thanks once again to Giovanni De Stefano for coming on and sharing his insights. And uh, I had a message come in during the programme from somebody who was anonymous, right? Claiming that what I've been doing is kind of whitewashing Giovanni and the things he was convicted for. I would say to that person, please listen back to my previous interview with Giovanni five weeks ago. Um, I gave him a chasing, a proper chasing, a proper chasing. I did my job. It was uncomfortable at times because the man was very good to me when I was working on the radio in Spain. So I'm not whitewashing anything. It was all out there. I asked him questions about his qualifications. I got stuck right into him. That was then, this is now. Whatever he did, whatever he spent time in prison for, he's got a very interesting mind when it comes to the law, criminal law and, and, and other manners of law. So there you are. I didn't whitewash anything at all. Okay, that's it for me. Closing out today's programme with Pink Floyd. Why not? See you tomorrow. Bye now.